Welcome to the podcast, All My Friends Are Therapists. My name is Annie Kendig, and I'm a licensed mental health professional. And although I have my own therapist, my friends always end up filling in the gaps. Each episode will be real talk, mental health topics with a licensed mental health counselor who turns all of her friends into therapists. Hi, everyone. Caitlin joins me again this week to talk about the concept of self-disclosure in the therapy process. Self-disclosure is a fancy term, which means therapists talking about themselves during a therapy session. It can be therapeutic if used effectively. This is Caitlin's second episode with the All My Friends Are Therapists podcast. If you haven't had a chance to listen to her first episode on gender therapy, please, please go back and listen because it is so interesting and Caitlin does amazing work. As a recap, Caitlin is a gender therapist and one of the only ones in the Cincinnati area. Caitlin and I went to grad school together and each have two boys. We are enjoying doing many things side by side, including raising kids and running a business. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. Caitlin, welcome back to the All My Friends Are Therapists podcast. It's so wonderful having you here again. Uh, after our first, I was just buzzing after that first episode. That was just so cool. Every, it, I just love coming back to a seed, right? And, and that finding that seed and that seed being, we're all looking for connection. We're all looking for community and belongingness. I, I just love it. So that was really cool. I, I, that just makes my heart sing. But today we're here to talk about clinicians using self-disclosure. Yes. It's so fun. So you and I have talked a little bit about now that we're in private practice, now that we have a little bit more um, long-term clients who we're working with for a while, we use more self-disclosure than probably we did when we first graduated, right? Because what was the like message that we got from school about self-disclosure? Don't. Don't, it really mm-hmm. was don't. Like, err on the side of no. Mm-hmm. Like, no. <laughs> like, no. And I see the value in that. I do. Of, like, first of all, I, I truly think clients don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you can be self-disclosing where they, uh, where you think it's, like, really meaningful, but they're like, okay, shh, I'm, I'm, supposed, to, I'm supposed to be talking. <laughs> and you're like, shit. <laughs> Which I feel bad sometimes. I think that when my therapist self-discloses. Mm-hmm. which I feel bad about because I'm like, oh, this could be a wonderful topic. And I do notice when she does self-disclose, I'm like, oh, okay, no, that was actually really helpful. <laughs> but when she's self-disclosing, I'm like, okay, this, you know, we're different, okay? Uh, this doesn't make any sense. But then later I'm like, okay, no, yeah, that was helpful. Mm-hmm. So t- tell me how you use self-disclosure, what that kind of um, process has been like f- for you using it with your clients, maybe from when we started mm-hmm. therapy, kind of graduation to now. I think when we're in school, they want to get like drill in these foundational ways to like function as a like good enough therapist. Like that's what they have to do as a student. And then after that, you just like go in these billions of directions wherever your professional identity goes. Mm -hmm. And all of us are different and all of us can pretty much talk our way into making something important, <laughs> you know? And, I mean, not to say, like, because I, I like self, self-disclosure. No, I, I like it. My, as long my as ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, my perspective is very important. <laughs> it's everything. Right. It's life. That's why people pay me. Uh-huh. That's right. For, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, but it is that really weird line between this is all about the client. They are central. They are focused. And not taking away from that, 
but also understanding and realizing you're two humans in a room seeking connection. Mm-hmm. And what is more kind of, what's the better definition of that, which is sharing stories. Mm-hmm. That's like the most human thing in the world is sharing stories and my stories and your stories. It builds rapport. It makes us feel like we are heard and valued and seen, right? All that kind of stuff. Because that's how I, I feel like if I can share with a client, like maybe what I'm going through or what I have been going through, that just seems natural to me, especially for long-term clients. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny you mentioned the connection too, because I know that a lot of people at, um, you know, my practice, by the way, I'm from Waybridge Counseling. Hey, uh, hey, oh, yeah. Counseling. hey where yeah. are they? Um, we're, in, we're everywhere. You <laughs> we're omnipresent. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fort Thomas, Anderson, Blue Ash. We're working on Dayton, Louisville. And um, um, Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Uh-huh. Where is your primary location? I work in Fort Thomas and Blue Ash, but I'll do some virtual. And I really don't like virtual for the connection piece. I don't connect yeah. people very well. But some people really like it. So, yeah. um, But we've been talking about how the pandemic itself like impacted self-disclosure. I feel like I self-disclose a lot more since the pandemic. And I think really? it's because even therapists have needed connection. Like in this time. And I think, and it's something we're trying to reel in, but I've noticed a lot of people who I've talked Mm -hmm. to, they feel like self-disclosures have increased um, in the pandemic because we're all just so isolated. I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably more than probably one of the reasons for this podcast of like, okay, let's, I got to go hang out with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I want to hang out with somebody. And I want to talk about these things, like, I hate small talk. Mm-hmm. Every <laughs> I really therapist, do. I feel like we could wear that on our shirt. Right. We hate small I talk. I hate small talk because when it. I meet somebody, I want to be like, how are you feeling today? How's your trauma? What is your trauma? <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> do you use alcohol like I do? <laughs> like, <laughs> tell me tell me your trauma, please. <laughs> What's your dosage of Lexapro? <laughs> oh, Butrin. Oh, oh, no. Lexapro life for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. Like, it's the, that... That knee jerk to go there immediately was already in us, I think, as clinicians and then school and teaching and our own kind of self-discovery absolutely brings it out. And I worry that I'm too intense for people sometimes. <laughs> that I'm just like, you know, mm-hmm. I want to, I, I like square up my shoulders and I like lean in, <laughs> you know, and I'm like using empathy statement. I mean, I'm not that crazy, but I'm like, thinking about these conversations afterwards with clients and without clients of like, oh, was that too much? Either did I disclose too much where it wasn't helpful and it was helpful to me and not to them, which, you know, we want to avoid that, right? All of our self-disclosure is for them, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Um, or was I just too intense for people that they just don't <laughs> want to talk about their trauma immediately? You know, it's so weird. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> But even after I assure them that I'm a safe space, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, come on, these are all just therapy memes. I feel like I know, all oh my gosh. <laughs> man, my audio engineer is going to do some work on the laughter on here. So no, it's okay. No, oh, I'm, I am too. It's just clipping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So say more about kind of how you use self-disclosure and especially in this pandemic, because that was interesting. Um, I guess like circle, I'll circle right back. One of the things, I guess, I don't know for who all listens with like disclosures with therapists, we have to be super duper careful because we don't want to redirect or make a client feel like they have to um, have any sort of emotional. um, I don't want to say burden that's strong. Um, Like any emotional 
responsibility for us because yeah. it is their space. It is all about them. And that's part of the the process. And we have to watch for transference and countertransference. And so transference is them like kind of projecting stuff onto us. Um, and countertransference is us projecting our experiences onto them. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and actually um, Butch, Dr. Lucy at our practice, like one of the things that we really adopt is this idea that countertransference isn't this demon that like, oh. you know, grad school made it out to be, which I get why. They're trying to teach like new people to not like. Well, they're trying spill. to teach new people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not to spill, and also to identify it, to be aware mm-hmm. of it. Yes, one hundred percent. They have their place in that, and it's it informs us of treatment. Like our own experiences in life can inform us to say the right things and to really attend to and open up that connection to clients. And so it's about using it effectively. So circling back, I guess to like the disclosures. I think for a while. You know, we had the school of none. And then I went to like community mental health work. And I remember my supervisor said, pick five or 10 stories. And those are the only stories you'll tell. Oh, wow. And that's what I did for a long time. Then you also ask yourself in your head, am I doing this for myself or the client? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, sometimes that doesn't always work. Sure. Because, um, you know, we're all therapists look for connection, too. We slip, you know, of and course. especially with long-term clients, because there is a, a stronger connection there. Yes. Um, but now, and I think working into, you know, on the, on the other side, I do, you know, gender work. When you're working with a population that's really vulnerable, who you might be the only person they're coming out to and opening up for the first time in their life about a lot of these experiences, I find myself that I am bringing a lot of my personality, the kind of bubbliness, like, to my sessions to show them my vulnerabilities that they feel comfortable giving theirs back. Absolutely. So I think a lot of peep therapists can relate to that, too. With couples, I'm different. I'm much less vulnerable with couples because they need more direction. But with the one-on-one, it's like I show you a little vulnerability so you get back. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of what what I tend to most self-disclose. Do you have, like, themes? Like, these are the things where I'm usually saying more about. I think the times when I self-disclose the most is when I'm trying to show that I understand. I think it it goes back to Mm. before I became a counselor, I remember I had, um, you know, as a late teen, significant bouts of depression and I'd gone through therapists and they were terrible. I had one that literally just looked at me and did empathy statements um, for some serious stuff that was going on. And um, then I remember finally getting to like the second one and being like, have you ever been depressed? And when he took that time to talk about how he was and that he got through it I was like oh my god therapists get depressed too and so sometimes I'll use it to just be like I know exactly what you're talking about let's like here are some things that like might help or you know some things that you might be feeling and I think that's what I do too if it's particularly salient for me in that moment or if someone's going through something that like I am also going through or have previously gone through or struggle with that's when I tend to be like, dude, I know exactly what you mean, you know, or, you know, so I have this, um, theory that in your thirties is when you have a lot of epiphanies and like spiritual growth. Hmm. Very true. Cut, right. Okay. Thank you. It's like, holy crap. More points. <laughs> I'm therapized. <laughs> and it's because, and I'm having these conversations with people And I'm noticing my clients, they're also in their 30s. And they're having these really deeper thoughts about, like, meaning of life, kind of their mark 
on the world, what they're leaving behind, and like what that all means. And learning these lessons about living the their life the way that they want to live it. And kind of rejecting either familial pressure, religious pressure, you know, other, and just going, what do I actually want? And I feel like this is a 30s struggle or like this is a you have to be in your 30s to get there Mm -hmm. like in your 20s you're too busy like career building or like buying the house or building a home finding a partner making your nest Mm -hmm. yes and then once those things are set and good and you've checked those boxes you're going okay now what and I love that maybe it's pandemic is the catalyst of like people are going deeper internally Mm -hmm. And so when I see that in clients and they start asking these types of questions and they're in their 30s, I'm like, oh, welcome to the 30s epiphanies. Like, this is just something (laughs) that that. you learn in your 30s. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's because I have. It's because I'm doing those things. It's because I'm kind of rejecting or deprogramming and going, no, what do I actually want? Mm -hmm. You know, I want to live in a cabin in the woods and have nobody else talk to me. And I want to talk and have all of my conversations on a landline. (laughs) (laughs) That's truly what I want. I'm going to go do that, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than having people, you know, or worrying about people calling me a hermit or weird or, you know, whatever. I don't care anymore Mm -hmm. because I want to go live in a cabin in the woods. (laughs) And on that point, I just had this epiphany, too. And what you're saying is clients, there's this pressure of us that also clients want. And I would see why. They want that kind of like all-knowing therapist. They want the one that's already they known do. it, has been through it. They like do. they want the one who's self-actualized. They want the self-actualized therapist. Mm-hmm. That's why there's like this bigger hype, which I completely understand, of people wanting people with lived experience or people sure. they can relate to in terms of their identity, marginalization, status, system, however, because they want someone who has already gone through it. Yes. So people want that level of understanding from us. Um, Which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the idea of niching yourself to the point where you have lived that or you've been through it or can get as close as you mm-hmm. can to it because that that like makes sure that you're aligned, right? Because when we graduated, you were the eclectic therapist, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. you're just the eclectic therapist. You did a little bit of CBT. You did a, you dabbled and learned some things about DBT. Mm-hmm. You, But for the most part, you did a little bit of everything and there was no significant, this is what I'm put here to help people through. Mm-hmm. And as you kind of grow and learn that, probably through self-disclosure, that's how we get to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Did I sum it up? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, and you're speaking to private practice too, because we have these levels of care. And as we come out of school, we're taught to be able to do community mental health work, which Angels work, community mental health work, oh 100%, gosh. utmost respect, yep. so beaten down by society. I'm, yep. I'm very tired of people only caring about mental health when someone, like, dies by suicide or yeah, shoots, right. shoots a place up. Yep. Like, like, the only time people go, oh, mental health, but mm-hmm. really we're the foundation of prevention in society. And so community mental health is so important. That said, a lot of people going through mental health have a resource issue or a specific issue that we can't necessarily just fix for them. It's like usually like oppressive themes, being stuck in a system, Mm -hmm. being stuck in a situation with not a lot of change or needing to stabilize. And it has its place. But when you get into private practice, you're getting into specialized issues, that self-actualization process, yes. that the 30, 30s epiphanies, 30s epiphanies. Yeah. Uh, right. And that's, a, you know, making my transition from community mental health to private practice was exactly that. I'm seeing clients who don't know where they're going to sleep that night. 
Mm. I mean, the, the poverty and, and the how complex do you, and how do you give trauma. therapy to someone for that? Right, sorry, you exactly. gotta, sorry, you can't have a bed. Right. Like, it's but let's talk about your trauma. No, no, you can't do that. You have no bed. You can't go home and, you know, like cry into your pillow, like, you know, which can be so healing and therapeutic and wonderful. They're still in survival mode. There's survival. No way. So you cannot do therapy, self-actualization, everything that's up at the top of that pyramid, if you don't know where you're sleeping that night, or if you don't feel safe where you're sleeping that night, all those types of things. And now you come into private practice where people are like next, want next level progress, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a client who struggled more in childhood and she wants to make sure that she doesn't repeat some of her traumas onto her children. Hmm. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Things that would change the course of society. Like just, you know, if people could have that basic resource to do that work. Right. Yeah. So then private practice work isn't necessarily accessible to all, Mm -hmm. right? That's the one thing about community mental health is it's highly, highly accessible. There's a no such thing as a wait list. You get put with a therapist immediately. Usually, you know, you may not see them for another two months, you know, and they accept all insurance. But private practice is different in that, you know, you can't always get that accessibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is the way our healthcare system is formed. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and some of it, too, is just in private practice, it's just hard to meet so much need. Like they need that wraparound care if you're going into community mental health, like with yes. accessibility. You need the psychologist, psychiatrist. You need the case management. You need the case management. The peer mm-hmm. support, right? Yes. All the, the stuff the that they can provide. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, to get that stability. Well, but that's why I love private practice, too, because you know, or at least um, there's a higher um, buy-in by the client. And when you have that buy-in and or the, the commitment from the client, then you can do that higher therapy, which is when you are self-disclosing more. You know, I'm not, I can't even remember if I ever self-disclosed. Oh, I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> face. <laughs> you saw that clip? When it just went right across her face. <laughs> well, you know, and so this speaking of, you know, therapists are people and people have issues, you know, therapists have issues. So when I was working community mental health, a close family member of mine was in hospice. Mm-hmm. And I had a client come in and say they had a close family member in hospice. They were working on, you know, that end of life care. And I had the closest thing I've ever had to a panic attack. Like the walls were coming in. I was getting like tunnel vision, which I like, I don't struggle with panic attacks. It's not been something that I've really experienced, but that was the scariest thing. And that's counter-transference, right? Of just Mm -hmm. like, I'm being almost activated by somebody Mm -hmm. else, or I'm kind of projecting that onto this other client. So just them talking about that was activating and triggering to me. And I had to say, like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, I had to collect myself. I'm so sorry. I also have somebody going through this and, you know, I'm in a state right now. And, you know, can I take a break? And so that was the probably the closest and mo- most personal that I probably ever did in community mental health. But, and obviously, you're not telling, cl- even in private practice, right? You're not telling everybody the personal, personal stuff, right? That, but, Mm-hmm. Well, how, how far do you go? Like, how personal do you go mm-hmm. with clients? In general? Yeah. It really depends on the client. Sure. And how much they benefit from it, too. Like, I'll say, like, because I've had longer-term clients where it's like, ooh, this is not someone I should disclose a lot to. Um, I don't think they find a lot to it. And then mm-hmm. there are some where they find a lot of meaning to it. Sure. And um, trying to think, 
how far, I mean, I've gotten far enough to where sometimes like if people try to diminish like their traumatic experiences, if they need it affirmed. Now, granted, I don't want to open that Pandora's box. So I do that kind of like thinking of, are they ready to, mm-hmm. and then I'll make the conclusion. Yes, they need validated that that was really traumatic. Um, and so like, I think there has been once or twice where someone has like a car accident and they're getting oh, dismissed yeah. by their family members that they can't drive. And so I'll share the time I was in a car accident. Yo, I, cla- I crawled out that window. It was so scary. <laughs> yeah, I rolled twice. I had to crawl out a window. I was unharmed. And um, yeah, Kelly, she was mm-hmm. another therapist in our program, was there that day was like, what just happened? And um, so I'll tell people it took about four years for me not to break down and cry on an airplane because I I had I got like freak accident um, panic where I thought planes would fall out of the sky. If I heard them, I still get a little unnerved when they fly over the house. It's so weird. I never had that problem. Mm-hmm. And literally it took therapy, uh, my therapist the time being like, Caitlin, planes don't fall out of the sky. That's not how it works. Let's give you some education. <laughs> I'm just like, but they fall out of what? I did not like elevators. I would be highly panicked. And then also driving was very hard. And so I will tell them, like, it doesn't matter, like, the spectrum of, like, how severe the car accident was. You know, like, you can have panic. It's normal yes. for the stuff to be there. It's right. normal. And so then we'll talk, like, through it. And so far, I've, I've with just that sort of disclosure, yeah. I've had good responses. But Damn, and I was giving yeah. you so much shit for what a careful driver you are on the way over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as much anymore. Like, that, I'll yeah. tell you, after trauma, like, once you do the desensitization, it does wear off, friends. Yeah. <laughs> for for no, many. Not, not everyone, sure. but it wore off. <laughs> Well, what do you wish that everybody knew about self-disclosure? Let's start with clients first. Mm-hmm. What do you wish that every client knew when they're sitting with a therapist and their therapist may be self-disclosing or deciding to self-disclose? I think that for most of the times, because we're humans, we yip all the time. Therapists yip. We're humans. We make faux pas. We make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try things and we learn from those mistakes. Like we're the emotional intelligence threshold is like us t- like constantly taking small and big risks to mm. see how it hits. But I guess what I want clients to know when their, their therapist is self-disclosing is that there's two things, I guess. Like it's, it's one where if a counselor is continuously doing that to you, they're probably in an unhealthy place where they can't function in that relationship. Sure. And it's okay for you to either confront that or, you know, make change in that relationship if you need to. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that most of us, when we're in a good place and it's not impacting our treatment, we are actually putting intention behind those self-disclosures. We think about them, usually. Sometimes not. Sometimes they just fly out of our mouths if it's a good day on a Friday. Uh, (laughs) And a lot of times we are putting a lot of thought and intention behind the shares. Yeah. No, I agree. But I think that's a good PSA that you mentioned too. Like if you're a therapist, if you're therapy session feels like you're spending your time listening to your therapist or that like they have taken the attention and focus, then there's something wrong there, mm-hmm. right? That's not okay. Um, it shouldn't feel like two friends just no. sit and chat and it shouldn't feel like that. Um, this is very much your time and absolutely the self-disclosure is done very carefully and for the benefit of the client. I think that's the biggest takeaway. And I, can I add to that boundaries are there to protect you clients? Because yes. if that develops into a friendship, it turns into something different. Yeah. And it impact like it, it impacts how much you want to share because you're afraid of burdening the therapist. Mm-hmm. Or you're afraid of how you'll come across to the therapist yes. if you share like something raw. 
Um, or like the, the therapeutic, the therapeutic relationship is structured in a way that it is going to end. Like there's mm-hmm. those random, we ha- we call them forever clients where sometimes mm-hmm. they, they just want to keep on coming back and that's fine. It, we are also in it ready for it to end. Yes. We are not going to be there forever yeah. and we're not going to be there when you need us like in, in certain events. And so right. it's there to protect you. Um, and so we have to constantly think about that and self-disclosures can, if it's not managed, you're right, can turn into that sort of dynamic, which can be dangerous for the therapeutic relationship. Right. Like that dual relationship that you're talking about of like, okay, you're, we're just friends now. Um, and it's no longer beneficial to you. It's Mm -hmm. more beneficial to the therapist. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that boundary is a really good point that keeps therapists honest. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Anything else you want to add? Trying to think. Yeah, I think in in general, like being on the other side too, as a client, self-disclosures from my therapist have been pretty impactful. Yeah. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. But after I think about it, I'm like, oh, okay. That, that, that does make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Oh, All yeah. right. Well, thank you for joining me again, Caitlin. Yay. And I hope to see you again for another episode. <laughs> in the future. Uh, I think Ooh. the next one is about coffee addiction, right? In therapists? Yes. The I do one. not believe in therapists who are not addicted to coffee. I don't believe in you. <laughs> I really don't. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Caitlin. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can find all of our previous episodes on our website, mountainmindset.org, as well as on Spotify. If you have an idea for an episode, we would love to hear from you. See you next time.